Amen. What's up, church? Hey, I, the last several times I have done this, it has been to an empty room with a couple of cameras. And so would you guys just make some noise for yourselves right now for being here? You guys can take a seat. Thank you, thank you, thank you for showing up. And for those of you watching online, Man, we just want you to know that you are every bit a part of this church as anybody else. In fact, let's also make some noise for those of us joining from the online church at home campus. We love you guys. Thank you for watching. Hey, I got some good news to share with us today. That's all right, Scott. I'm, I'm good, man. Thanks, bro. I got some good news to share with us today, and I'm excited to be here. This is week three of our series, Explicit Jesus. This entire series is built around one verse, Colossians 1:15, that says he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Think about that for a second. He is the image of the invisible God. That means in a world that is unsettling sometimes and uncertain at times, we have an image, a tangible picture of the creator of the universe, and his name is Jesus. That means if we want to know what God is like, all we have to do is look at Jesus. And I'm telling you, it's some really, really good news, isn't it? Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus came down. And he said things like, hey, I didn't come here to, to be served. I came here to serve. I didn't come here to, to find my life. I came here to lose my life so that other people can find their life. I didn't come here to be first. I came here to be last. And so whatever you're going through today, can I just encourage you real quick? You have a God who loves you, who's crazy about you, and who has big plans for your Life. Listen, the kingdom of the world can be shaken sometimes, can't it? Like maybe all of 2020. Jen, it's so good to see you. I'm sorry, I'm just seeing people for the first time in a long time right now. The kingdom of the world can be shaken. It's been shaken this entire year. And yet the good news is, is that the Bible says we have been given a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's a kingdom called the kingdom of heaven, and that kingdom has a king, and his name is Jesus, and he is on the throne. And I don't know what's going to happen the rest of 2020, but I do know this, that by the end of 2020, Jesus will still be on the throne. And that is why we meet here today. That is why we sing. That is why we celebrate. This series is called Explicit Jesus. Explicit Jesus, because we thought, hey, let's just spend the fall bragging about how amazing Jesus is. The word explicit means stated clearly and in detail, leaving no room for confusion or doubt. And so we're taking the, the fall to look at all, uh, a bunch of the different like parts and roles that Jesus played while he was on this earth so that we can get to know our creator a little bit better. Today, uh, I want to talk, uh, I want to take this in a, in a slightly different direction because Jesus had lots of roles that he played uh, on this earth. Like you, you may um, think of Jesus and think savior of the world or Messiah or son of God and all of those things are absolutely true. But if you lived in the first century in some small village and you saw Jesus come to your hometown one day, the category that you would place Jesus in would be something different. It would be the word rabbi. Rabbi, it's the Hebrew word for teacher. Jesus was a rabbi. 
In fact, um, throughout the course of the, the gospels, there are about 90 different interactions that people have with Jesus. In about 60 of those interactions, people refer to him as rabbi. A rabbi from the Wekman Matat Dictionary is a Jewish spiritual leader who teaches their disciples how to live. Guys, the first time somebody pointed this out to me, like Jesus is Jewish and he was a rabbi, it changed everything for me. Like the gospels just like came alive for me because suddenly, um, like, like Jesus came here to save us, of course, right? From sin and death. And we celebrate that, yes and amen. But Jesus didn't just come to save us. He also came to teach us how to live. A rabbi was here and is still here today to teach us how to live and has disciples that he takes with him and says, hey, learn from me and then turn around and go and do likewise. Jesus was a rabbi. And so I want to take some time and look at one story today. It's three verses because I want to give us a little bit of cultural background, a little bit of context. I think it's going to help these three verses just pop out of the Bible, and it's going to help you today, this week. So the story is found, Matthew chapter 4. Rabbi Jesus is just beginning his ministry. We're going to read verse 18, 19, and 20. It says this, While walking alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, Rabbi Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, And his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he said, and I will make you fishers of men. You've heard this story before, right? And if you're anything like me, I always get to this point, and I'm like, what an odd story. Like, like if I'm Peter or Andrew out fishing one day, and this guy's just like, hey, follow me. I'm going to go like, hey, Like, Jesus, come on, man, we're busy. We're trying to make a living with our lives. What are you talking about? And yet, verse 20, uh, Matthew 4, 20 says this, immediately they left their nets, they followed him. Odd story, right? We're gonna break it down. We're gonna look at a little bit of context and it's gonna make sense. So Father, we thank you for your word. Would you be here with us today in Jesus' name? And everybody said, Amen. amen. Hey, can we, uh, can we nerd out for a second? You guys ready? I, you don't really have a choice. I'm just asking to, to be polite. Let's do a little thought experiment. Everybody with me, uh, imagine that you are six years old again. Lana, you remember being six years old? The rest of us probably don't. Imagine you're six years old. You grew up in, growing up in the first century, and, and you live in Galilee, right? A small little village in, in uh, Israel. You're six years old, it's the first day of school, and so you wake up early, you put on your back-to-school sandals, grab your favorite tunic, make your lunch, right? you pack your bag, you head out the door, your mom stops you and takes a, a first day of school picture, or like makes like a painting real quick, you know, or whatever, however they rolled back then, and you head out to the synagogue for your first day of school. What you're thinking as a six-year-old heading to the synagogue is, hey, these next several years are going to be very, very challenging for me. Like, a lot is about to happen, but I'm committed to to seeing this process through because I want to hear two words 
from a rabbi when all of this is said and done. Your goal, your entire reason for, like, for existence was to hear two words from a rabbi. And so at six years old, they would head into synagogue. And from six to about 10, or some scholars say 11, they would go to, let's just call it elementary school. Okay, elementary school in the first century at the synagogue consisted of this. This was your, this was your task. Memorize the entire Torah. First five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized by the time these kids were 11 years old. Hey, hey, let's be real for a second. Most of us haven't made it that far in our yearly Bible plan yet, have we? And it's October, and like we were at home for six of the months, like in a, a pandemic, and we can't even get through the first five books. These 11-year-old kids have it memorized. At least the best of the best did. The, the rest of the kids, the rabbis would come to them and say, hey, you tried really hard. Thanks for showing up. I think it would be better if you would go and, and take up the family trait. So, so the rest of the kids would go home and they would become carpenters. They would become merchants or they would become fishermen. The best of the best would keep going. Let's call it high school. That's not what, what it was called. But from 11 to 14, now your job is you've got the first five books of the Bible memorized. Now your job is to, to memorize the rest of the entirety of the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. The first three quarters of your Bible memorized by 14. Hey, how many people have like tried to, to memorize a psalm? <laughs> Right? Like, like, I'll get through, like, the first four verses, and then I'll just be like, ah, you know, I got the gist of it. I think, I think we're good to go. Right? They memorize all 150 psalms, all of the Proverbs, all of Ecclesiastes, like Jeremiah, you know, Second Chronicles. <laughs> like, how many names and dates and genealogies are in there? They've got the thing memorized. At least the best of the best do. The rest of them, the rabbis come and say, hey, thanks for showing up. You did a good job. I think you should go home and pick up the family trait. So they would go home, and they would become soldiers or sailors or fishermen. Then at 14, um, the, those who were, like, really good and who were ready to keep going and, 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 like, prove themselves to the world, they would find a rabbi, and this is where the interview process would start. Uh, like, how many of you, I, I meet with college kids or kids just out of, not kids, like a couple years younger than me, people just out of college all of the time, and, and this is what they always say. They go, hey, I've sent my resume out to, like, 500 different companies, and I can't hear back from anyone because everybody says that I need experience, but nobody will give me, like, the experience that I need, and so it's just this, like, frustrating pat, uh, pattern, right? So these 14-year-olds these would find a rabbi that they wanted to be their teacher, and they would say, hey, I want to be your disciple. And then the rabbi would, like, ask them a whole bunch of, like, Bible nerd questions, right? Like, this isn't like, hey, what sign did, did God send after Noah and the flood, Right? This is like, this is the real deal. Like one of the, the kid has it memorized and the rabbi is the rabbi. Like it's a whole lot going on. I was listening to uh, Tim Mackey and this guy named N.T. Wright uh, have a conversation about the Bible this week. And by the end of it, I was like, I need to take a nap. Like these guys are way too smart for me. That's what this interview process would be like. And if you didn't do well in the interview, the rabbi would say, hey, thank you for trying. 
I think it would be better that you go home and pick up the family trait. So they'd go home, become bankers or bakers or fishermen. The best of the best would, would crush their interview, and the rabbi would look at them and say, those two words that you've been trying to hear since you were six years old, the rabbi would look at you and say, hey, you have what it takes, follow me. Now, with that context, let's go back and read Matthew chapter 4 again. One day, Jesus, Rabbi Jesus, is on a walk. While walking alongside the Sea of Galilee, he sees two brothers, Simon, Peter, who is called Simon, and Andrew, casting their net into the sea. Why? Because they are fishermen. What does that mean? It means somewhere along the way, a rabbi said, hey, Peter, hey, Andrew, thanks for trying, right? You, you, you did good, but hey, you're just not cut out for this whole spirituality thing. You, you're just not like the best of the best, so maybe you should just go home and pick up the family trait. means the rest of the world said, yeah, those guys don't quite have what it takes, and then 2,000 years ago, this Jewish rabbi named Jesus was walking alongside the Sea of Galilee. He sees Peter and Andrew, two fishermen, and he goes, yep, you two, follow me. You feel that? Like, like do you feel the, the weight uh, of that? Those of you who are watching online right now who are like, man, I just, I don't even know if I can show up to a church like that because I'm just trying to get my life together and I don't know when to sit and when to stand and, and what I should say and what, what, what like books are in the Bible. Can I tell you right now that we serve a God? The image of the invisible God is a, a Jewish rabbi who comes to earth and finds the most unlikely of people and says, yes, you follow me. And so what that means for you watching at home, if you're going, I don't want to like crash their party. Can I just tell you that we worship Jesus here, which means if you're lost, if you're broken, if you're confused, you're not crashing this party. You'd be the guest of honor at this party. And we'd want nothing more than for you to come and hang out with us. We have a seat for you. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, calls the most unlikely squad, and he says, hey, follow me. I'm a rabbi who's going to teach you how to completely change the world. So they go, and they follow Jesus. And it's like time and time and time again, all Jesus does is um, like find outcasts and find people who shouldn't be on the squad and goes, hey, Matthew, the tax collector, the one who's hated, the one who's ignored by everybody, how about you? Come join the team. Let's go. Simon, the zealot, the crazy guy, right? You got to have a crazy guy on the squad, whatever. That's why we have Ethan here. Like, hey, Simon, come, follow us. Let's go, right? Judas, Judith, come, follow us, let's go. This is the image of the invisible God. He looks at you and he says, yes, you. I want you to be a part of the greatest movement of love the world has ever seen. Come, follow me. So Jesus didn't just come to save. Jesus also came to teach us how to live. So let's talk about you for, for a second, right? The question becomes, okay, well, what did Jesus do, and how does that apply to me in 2020? Well, there are about a 1,000 answers 
to that, but we, we have lives to live, so I boiled it down to two for us. All right, the first one is simply this. Call out potential in people. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, which means a disciple of Jesus, which means you live like Jesus lives, what did Jesus do in this story? He sees people that the rest of the world ignores, and he calls the potential out of them. Doug's been, been posing this question all summer long and all fall long. He's been saying, hey, do you see what can be? Do you see what could be? I know you see what currently is, but do you see what could be? In your marriage with your spouse, I know you see what currently is, but do you see the potential there? Can you call out the potential in that other person? With your kids, I know you see what is, but do you see what could be, and are you ready to call out the best in them? Like you teachers, I always ask teachers around this time of the year, how's your class? Like, how's the class looking? And without fail, almost all the time, they always say, they're good. There's this one kid, though, right? Right? And um, the, <laughs> the one kid, though, here's my question. I know you see what is. Do you see what could be? You got entrusted with this kid for the next several months. Do you see what could be? Can you figure out a way to bring out the best in him or her to call out the potential buried deep down inside? Because make no mistake about it, we all have that potential. That is what Jesus did. This one is uh, very, very personal for me because when I was 19 years old, I got on a plane that I had no business getting on. It was a red eye to Costa Rica, and I was flying to Costa Rica for three months to be on staff at this missions organization um, where we would fly in high schoolers for a couple of weeks at a time and take them out on a mission trip to a different part of, of Costa Rica, and I was flying down there to, to lead these groups. You might be thinking, well, that sounds like a, a great use of your summer. It should be. The problem is I had no idea what I was doing, and I'm not kidding. Like, Doug and E and I had just started following Jesus. I, Doug was in uh, Australia at the time. Doug, by the way, Doug's behind camera one right now. Thank you, Doug, for, for running that. And so it's kind of weird. It looks like I'm, like, talking to the camera, but I'm talking to the guy behind the, the camera. Doug was in Australia at the time. Um, he picks me up from the airport, and he had this Bible. You remember this, Doug, the Bible you got from Hillsong? <laughs> and he just goes, hey, did you know John the Baptist ate locusts? <laughs> You know, because we had like we had just started reading. We were just like tipping our like putting our toe into the shallow end of this thing. And like that's what we had come up with so far. Right. Ethan and I that semester, we had just spent the entire semester reading the book of Acts together. It was the only book we had ever read in the Bible. So people thought that we were just obsessed with the book of Acts. It's not true. It's just you know, that was the only book that we read. So that's the only thing that we knew about the Bible. And yet through a series of wild events that I'll tell you about some other time, I end up in Costa Rica flying to go lead a bunch of mission trips. This is a true story. My buddy, this guy named Nate, picks me up at the airport at 6 a.m., brings me to the base where we're going to be staying, shows me where my bed is, shows me where to put my bag, and then he goes, he goes, um, hey, everybody's having their quiet time right now. When you hear the bell, it's time for breakfast. Now, what I said was, great. Sounds good, man. Thanks for picking me up from the airport. What I thought was, did you say quiet time? Like, what in the world? That sounds like something a, like a game a parent would play with their kids when they're frustrated because they're being too angry. 
quiet time. So I'm like creeping around this base. I'm the guy that's supposed to be in charge uh, I'm, or, or leading part of it, right? I'm creeping around the base, like turning corners, trying to figure out what we mean by quiet time. And I eventually figure out, oh, it just means you read your Bible and you journal and you, you pray. Like, I can do that. But also, like, why do we call it quiet time? You, you know what I mean? And then it gets worse. That night at dinner, this is a true story. That night at dinner, somebody goes, hey, to the staff. There was like 20 of us staff, right? We had a few days before the kids showed up. Hey, we want to get to know everybody a little bit more, so everyone's going to share their testimony after dinner. And I said, yeah, good idea. Let's go, guys. Testimony time. What I thought was, I have no idea. I've never heard that word before. Like, I literally didn't know what a testimony was, but I figured I'd be okay because I just wouldn't go first, right? Just wait and let somebody else go. Well, they put all of our names into a hat. You know, you're, some of you are ahead of me right now. <laughs> they pick out the first name, and then it's me, and I just go, huh. And then I just stay silent for the next 15 seconds, which doesn't sound like a long time, but when everyone's staring at you, trust me, it's a long time. And then this guy named Lynn, who is in charge of the whole thing, leans over, and he goes, just tell him your story. And I thought, oh, I can do that, but also, like, why didn't we just say that the first time, right? So on my first day, I learned what a quiet time is, and I learned what a testimony is. And then a few days later, the day before the first team arrives, the guy who's in charge, Dylan Hoover, um, who, by the way, is an absolute legend in Costa Rica, uh, gave his life to being a missionary there, lived there for years, lived a, a crazy life, more passionate than maybe anybody I've ever met about making disciples. Um, he, he passed away a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, so, Dylan, the sermon is for you. You have been a rabbi for me. So thank you, brother. Rest in peace. Delin uh, pulls me into his office, and, and, and he looks at me. He's sitting across like the table from me, and he looks at me, and he goes, you're a leader. And it was one of those moments where you're like, you're not sure if it's like a question or if it's rhetorical. So like, I don't know like really what to do. And he, he looks at me again, and he goes, you're a leader. And, and, and the team's coming down tomorrow, and I want to put you in charge uh, of one of the teams. And I just laugh. I go, Delin, I'm honored, man, but I, I got to be real. I don't know what I'm doing. And, uh, man, Delin, he, he looks at me, and I'll never forget this. He just laughs, and he goes, hey, get used to that feeling, which uh, 11 years ago, I had no idea what he was talking about. 11 years later and a church plant later, I know exactly what he was talking about. And he looks at me and he goes, hey, don't worry about it. Just watch what I do and then go and do that. And when he said it, it made so much sense. I was like, oh, yeah, like I can, I can do that. And so the kids showed up and I just watched Delin. And however Delin interacted with them or with the leaders or with whoever, that's exactly what I would do. And then I take the kids out on the first like day of outreach and I, um, I, I show up with the team, and Delin is already there. Again, I didn't know what he was doing at the time. Now I know what he was doing. And he was letting me lead, but he was just showing me from afar exactly what to do, you know, because you've got these kids. Like, some of these kids are, like, 13, and they've never been out of their hometown, and now all of a sudden they're in this, like, slum in Costa Rica, right? And they're, like, trying to figure out how to build a house, and they're all scared and awkward. So Delin showed me how to just go in and break down any wall between them and the people living there and how to love well and how to make disciples. And for 
an entire summer, I just watched Dylan and I just did exactly what he did. I'll tell you what's interesting is when people ask me, hey, Ryan, how'd you get into doing what you do? Nine times out of 10, I'll tell them the story of that first day on outreach in Costa Rica because I just watched Dylan, but I got to the end of that day and I thought, man, like this is something that I can actually do something that I'm actually good at and something I want to give the rest of my life to. Like, this is amazing. And listen, on paper, I had no business being there. On paper, I definitely didn't have any business being in charge, but Delin understood the model of Jesus, didn't he? When the rest of the world saw me, they said, hey, you're not ready yet, but Delin didn't look at what was. He looked at what could be, and he called the potential out of me, and I will be forever grateful for that. In fact, that's the DNA of this church. In 2016, Sean Johnson, our, our lead pastor, had no business calling Doug and saying, hey, Doug, what about you and your two friends? You think you're ready to, to go plant a church? <laughs> like, like we, we, every time we ask him about it, he's like, no, I knew you guys were, were ready, but, but the reality is he had to be like, no way. I don't know about these guys. I don't think that this is such a good idea, but Sean didn't look at what was. He looked at what could be. Are you somebody who, who doesn't just look at what is, but looks at what could be and calls the potential out of people? That is a very Jesus thing to do. The rest of the world looked at Peter and Andrew and saw two fishermen. Jesus saw two world changers that he was going to use to build his kingdom, to build his church, and to change the world. If we want to be like Jesus, man, Call the potential out of people. The other thing I would say, and band, you guys can come up. The other thing I, I would say is if we want to be like Jesus, we got to see people. You know? That's a weird thing to say. But do you see people? Like, do you see people as souls that need and deserve your love and respect? I ask it like this. Your cashier at HEB this week. Was he or she a soul, like an infinite, eternal soul, or just somebody you wish would hurry up so that you could get on with your life? Your, your waiter or your waitress this week, was she or he just somebody that you wish would, would pay a little bit more uh, attention to you, or was that a human soul that probably has a, a lot going on in their life? So shout out my, my buddy Kyle every time I, I eat with him. We had pizza last week and the first thing he does every time he goes hey what's your name and I used to just be like that's like that's a little intrusive and 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 now I know exactly what he's doing he, he he's there to eat a meal and hang out absolutely but he's also there to see the 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 person bringing the 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 lunch to us the dinner to us he's there to call potential out of that person he's there because he understands that every person has a backstory hey even that person that that cut you off in traffic this week has a backstory did you know that even that person who's talking bad about you right now has a backstory. Did you know that? Do you see that person as a threat? Or do you see that person as a human being who probably has a lot of unprocessed pain, who's going through a lot right now and is just trying to be needed and known in a very, very difficult world? Jesus called potential out of people. What did he say? Verse 19, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Hey, I got to admit, I've got, I need like some religion rehab with that verse. 
because every time I hear fishers of men at this point, I just think like Christian, cliche, cheesy, overused, right? Like I could tell you story after story, I'm not going to. Actually, I will. I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you one story real quick just because it's amazing. This is way back in the day. Um, a friend of ours was looking for a mentor and he asked an older guy at the church that we were, that we were at, he goes, hey, uh, would you mentor me? The older guy goes, uh, tell you what, meet me at the Buff, best breakfast spot in Boulder, by the way. Kylie's got my back on that one. Meet me at the Buff at 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. So my friend goes, all right, fine. He gets to the Buff at 7 a.m., gets a table for two. <laughs> this guy comes walking in, true story, fully decked out in fishing gear with a fishing pole, sits down at the table with my friend, doesn't say a word about it, just starts having a conversation. And then like halfway through the meal, my friend's like, hey, so do you wanna be my mentor? And he goes, I tell you what, he pulls out his fishing pole and starts casting the line into the restaurant, reeling it back in. He goes, you see what I'm doing right now? Cast it out, reel it back in. This is what I'm gonna teach you how to do. I'm gonna teach you how to fish for men. Like meanwhile, the line's like going into people's coffee and like ruining their pancakes and the manager's coming around like, hey, you gotta stop, man. Like what is the deal, right? So I have all this, this baggage with this phrase, fishers of men, but hey, let's just for one second in this moment, take away the, the 2000 years of us Christians falling short and failing uh, and making Jesus's words mean something that they were never meant to be. And let's think about Rabbi Jesus seeing two teenagers that the rest of the world had written off, fishing in their boat, walking up to them, giving them the invitation of a lifetime to come and follow him. And then he backs it up by saying, hey, you see how you're fishing right now? It's really cool what you're doing, but here's the deal. There's something even bigger going on in this world right now. Something even bigger than just making money or putting food on the table. There are human souls in the world right now who are lost and who are broken and who are desperate for some purpose and for a calling. I'm gonna teach you how to see human beings as souls, as eternal souls who need and deserve our love and respect. And then I'm gonna teach you how to talk to them. I'm gonna teach you how to call potential out of them. I'm gonna teach you how to help them change their life and get back on track. And then I'm gonna teach you how to turn around and teach them how to do the same exact thing for other people, right? Rabbis, when they got to, to the end of, of their uh, apprenticeship with, with Jesus or with their disciples, they would say, hey, now it's your turn. Go and make disciples. And, and, and so three years after that moment in the boat, Peter and Andrew and, and James and John and Simon and Matthew and all these guys are like, okay, we just saw our rabbi do all these incredible things. Now we just gotta go do what he Way easier said than done, isn't it? He is Jesus after all. He's a little better at it than we are. I saw people's faces when I said the, the, the person that cut you off on the highway this week has a backstory, everybody just goes, me too, right? It's hard, life is hard. We're not going to get it right all the time. We're not always going to be a perfect disciple of Jesus. And so watch this, that's actually the entire point. 
When rabbis were walking uh, around the, the face, or I'm sorry, when Jesus was on this earth walking around, rabbis would, would have their, their teaching, right? Their way of interpreting scripture. And we would call that their yoke. So a rabbi's yoke was their interpretation of scripture and how they taught scripture. So in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And then get this, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. See, Jesus as a rabbi had a yoke that he called easy. Does that mean he was like the cool parent that just let you get away with whatever you want, whenever you want? No. In fact, when you read his, his, uh, his gospels, he's actually like, he has a very strong ethical like, like calling that he calls us to, especially when it comes to anger, when it comes to sex, when it comes to generosity. Like, like the things that Jesus is calling us to is very, very, very difficult. And, and yet, what makes Rabbi Jesus different than all the other rabbis is he's, he goes, hey, I'm not just Rabbi Jesus, I'm also Savior Jesus. I'm not just here to teach you how to be human, I'm here because I know you're not gonna get it right. And so I'm here to pick you up when you fall down. I'm here to carry the weight for you. He does that by going to the cross. He does that by defeating death and, and, and rising three days later and then calls his disciples to go and do likewise. And they stumble and they fall and they get it wrong. And there's awkward moments along the way. And yet 2,000 years later, we sit in this room singing these songs, talking about this Jesus, praising this, this rabbi named Jesus because he's not just rabbi, he's savior Jesus. And so tonight, today, here's what I wonder. Uh, I wonder for some of you, if you've never thought about Jesus as your rabbi before. And you go, hey, I got like, I know that he, he saved me, uh, and that's amazing, but, but like, when you say rabbi, I don't even know like what you're talking about. I wonder if this week, your job is to go read the gospels. Go read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and don't just read it through the lens of savior, but read it through the lens of I'm supposed to go and do likewise. But man, others of you watching right now here today or watching online right, right now are thinking, hey, I, I don't even know what you mean when you say like, like follow Jesus. Can I just encourage you right now what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 11 is he was saying, hey, I'm going to take the weight of sin and death on my shoulders on the cross so that you can go free. And all you have to do is put your faith in me and then come follow me and you're not gonna get it perfect, but we're gonna have a good time and we're gonna figure it out as we go. And so if that's you during this last worship set, I wanna give you just an invitation to talk to Jesus, pray to Jesus, ask Jesus to come into your heart, make Jesus the Lord and savior of your life and your rabbi and I promise you, your life will never be the same. So would you guys stand up to your feet with me? Father, we love you so much. Rabbi Jesus, we thank you for not just teaching us how to live, but for coming to save our lives. And Father, right now, all across this room, all across this world, as people watch this message, I pray that you would call us out, that you would remind us that there is potential in our souls and that it's time for that potential to fly. Father God, would you teach us how to see people as human beings who need and deserve our love and respect. And we pray that the kingdom of heaven would move forward and go and go to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name.